0: Hello, this is Christine Murray, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. Today, we're talking about industrial intensification and a call to arms that is growing to maintain the industrial spaces in our city centres, whether these are warehouses or artist studios, microbreweries and manufacturing hubs. I'm going to be speaking with Holly Lewis, co-founding director of We Made That, and Frances Moss from the London Borough of Ealing. Holly and Frances argue that they're really essential to dynamic and engaging and economically viable places. Let's listen in.
1: My name's Holly Lewis. I'm partner at We Made That and I'm an architect by training. Um, I guess the reason that we're here today is to talk about industrial spaces in London. So we've been thinking about industrial space in London uh, through our work that we made that since about 2015. We have an in-house urban research team. And at that time, we were looking at the supply of industrial space in London um, and working alongside ACOM to map all kinds of industrial space all across London. And what that study showed was that industrial space was being changed to other uses which I think we anticipated, like the plan was that we should do that. There was maybe an underuse of industrial space at that time and obviously a need for housing. So it was being changed. But what that study showed is that it was being changed to other uses about three times faster than was being planned for. And everybody was kind of (laughs) slightly taken aback by those figures, like, whoa, 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 hang on. Actually, we're really substantially losing our industrial spaces to other things. And at that time, like, well, what does that mean? Because at the moment, or contemporaneously with that study, Industrial rents weren't yet going up. There was still some supply. But what has happened, and you could have predicted it really from from the information, is in the period since 2015 to around about kind of five years ago, there's basically no industrial space that you can get your hands on in London across all kinds of spectrums and scales. Industrial rents have gone up vastly. And the ability for industrial businesses to find space to do the things that they need to do which clothe London, feed London, tidy up after London, uh, entertain London, create cultural spaces for London. All of those really important things are grappling with challenges of having the right space. And there's still this kind of coming pressure to deliver new residential space. So it continues to be a challenge. What was really interesting is kind of in that intervening period, the London plan, so the highest level of planning policy in London, has changed its position on industrial land from managed release to basically like, we need to keep it now. There's some sort of flexibility in that. And I think the Greater London Authority is still interested in how we can use industrial spaces in different ways. But this, the phrase that we are hearing about all the time at the moment is industrial intensification. It's, this is how can we get more out of the industrial land that we still have? Slightly have our cake and eat it. We want the industrial space, and we also want homes where that's possible, and sometimes co-location, so mixing industrial space with, um, in with residential space. And so this is the whole picture of what we're talking about at the moment. And I think we're at a really interesting time where there's all kinds of interesting schemes coming forward that are trying to get more industrial space out of industrial sites, and groups like Francis's who I know is here to to talk as well, um, to talk about how do we tackle this different approach to how we're using and accommodating industrial space in our city.
0: So Francis, that's a perfect moment to bring you in. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Ealing and, and about you?
2: Yeah, so uh, my name is Francis Moss and I'm a principal regeneration officer at Ealing Council in the area regeneration team and uh, I've I had the Privilege there, I guess. I'm I'm also actually I should I should say from a architectural background, uh, architect by training, uh, but I haven't been doing architecture for at least ten years now. Um, so moving away completely from sort of design focus and um, move to urban design and 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 sort of the social. And economic aspects of it, which um, initially actually brought me to um, looking at industrial areas and and doing a mapping of uh, the biggest industrial area in London, Park Royal, for uh, for the GLA at the time. Which I guess sort of really brought up the fascinating diversity of of businesses and and what they're doing on in industrial areas, which. Really, I guess it revealed to me the diversity and fascinating things going on there. Businesses of all sizes, um, entrepreneurial people, um, which I think is really sort of the, the you know, the crux for me about, about industrial land uh, in London, that it, it is really providing the space for um, massive range of different types of um activities uh that you know um, lots of people's livelihoods rely on but also London relies on to to function so I don't know if I actually answered your question there but um yeah I think
0: you did but I think one uh, you've kind of posed that question which of course is the next question so, kind of said these are entrepreneurial spaces you know these are a mix of different spaces how do we define what industrial is I mean I kind of have a vague idea that there's some like auto body shops in there and maybe there's some some woodworking happening but I you know maybe there's a factory is this a brewery but you know at what point is it not an industrial space at what point is it an office or um and and how do we kind of um characterize the need for these spaces. So like how do we argue for for them as necessary to the to the functioning of a city?
2: Yeah I think Holly and I probably have visited uh uh a large range of them uh over the years and and gone to talk to businesses because you know that's sort of been the the best way to understand actually what what we're talking about. Um, because often often industrial land is seen as underutilized, um, unnecessary brownfield land that is sort of ripe for redevelopment, uh, for housing often because because we're just sort of looking at through a real estate lens. And I think, you know, obviously we've been, or I've been looking at it in particular through an economic lens and and what it brings to the economies. And that is, you know, basically all the uses that are not, uh, that, that, you know, cannot happen in office space or retail space. Um, And that's a, Wide range, including you know things that actually local services for people, like as you say, um, you know garages, uh, places to change tires, change your oil to uh, you know waste disposal waste depots, you know all the way through to you know sort of high end film studios and distribution centers and and things like that. So an incredible massive range. I mean, in Ealing, you know, it's, it, uh, we've we've sort of got it all because we've probably got over double the floor space of any other borough in London of industrial space. And yet there still is, you know, some of the highest demand in London in, in Ealing, uh, probably because of its, its location, really. So, you know, we're looking as to how we can accommodate that demand because we're not going to have any economic growth and more jobs and, and better jobs without having the space for those to happen. And as as Holly's mentioned, it's been reducing over the years. So, um, yeah.
0: Holly, if I can bring you in on that, I mean, you've talked about this kind of pressure um, to to retain uh, industrial spaces. It also, you know, pressure to increase it. You talked about intensification, so you know is it, Francis has said this is key to economic um growth i think we're used to industrial spaces being something that we think oh let's just put those outside the city so um so what is it that that you're seeing
1: so there is there's a background to that which is that industrial uses typically are could be noisier could be smellier could have more vehicle movements associated with them than the things that we might want to have necessarily at the heart of our neighbourhoods. And I think for that reason, they've always been pushed to the periphery or kind of bounded and sort of separated and be a bit like, here be dragons, (laughs) don't go there. Um, And so there's a sort of psychology associated with the way that we think about industrial spaces in our cities, which I think is damaging and um, sometimes is supported by just the quality of environment and how much care those spaces are given. I think that what we're seeing, though, is that those spaces are fundamentally tied to any growth in residential and the numbers of people that are in the city because they're providing our food, uh, doing washing and laundry, uh, processing waste, providing energy. As Frances has said, the kind of breadth of uses that are happening there is just vast. Um, And obviously really importantly, and increasingly importantly, distribution and delivery and warehousing and just keeping boxes of stuff and then moving boxes of stuff from another place to another place. This is a really important thing that has to happen to make our city work. And you you can't push that out. Some of it has to happen within the city. If you were to push that out further than we are right now, the knock on effect of that is more goods being transported on the roads, uh, more emissions associated with that, poorer air quality potentially, lots of big vehicles moving around. So there are some really important reasons why we need to keep industry in our cities, uh, not least of which is this ability to have jobs which are quite close to our homes and how beneficial that is in terms of uh, the climate crisis, but also just creating vibrant, nice places. I think this sort of attitude to where we work and the places of work that support London is kind of changing. So I've I've had conversations with big industrial developers where they're like, nobody wants to work in a business park anymore. We all want to work somewhere that's kind of buzzy and vibrant, where we see different things going on and you can interact with other people. And I think that now outdated way of thinking about industrial space is something that we're really starting to unpick. Um, so I think, I mean, for example, we've been working in an area in Waltham Forest called Black Horse Road for a, quite a long time. Um, a few years ago, we did a kind of public realm project along there, which had wayfinding and arts installations and relatively light touch and thinly spread. And then more recently, we've worked on a project called Lockwood Way up there, which has been public realm focused in, I mean, it's completely standard local authority owned industrial estate, quite um, regular Light industrial units that the council own, and there we've invested in the public realm between those units. Actually, removed a lot of the parking because the businesses were finding that people were coming from outside the estate and just leaving their car. So there's no like customer access benefit of the parking. Changing that instead for sustainable or sustainable urban drainage surfaces, um, providing space for the breweries who are on the estate to have customers sitting outside. Uh, there's a granite supplier, a, a wood workshop, a couple of breweries, a winery. So there, there's a sort of there's a vibe, which is about production. In the week, it's definitely about production. People are getting massive shipments of grapes coming in and then they're getting squashed and turned into wine. But at the weekend, they're then selling those things back to the local community and it's got a vibe. It's a it's a fun place to be and you're able to see what's happening in those sheds. The idea that industrial sheds are these sort of intimidating places, I think needs to be overcome. And that sort of way of classifying industrial uses as noisy, smelly, kind of big, needs to be therefore separated just isn't true of so many of the activities that you actually see when you get to the ground. Some of them, yes, waste processing, kind of metal <laughs> recycling, there are some things which are, are gritty and hard, uh, but like maybe 80%, I it would be hard to quantify, depending on where you are, but a really significant proportion of them are completely neighborly uh, in, integratable probably not the right word, but um, able to be integrated with with urban surroundings. And I think that is the change I think that we're seeing at the moment.
0: And part of that is driven by manufacturing itself becoming kind of a cleaner in terms of the processes. Um, but I assume also as we kind of have these limited spaces for it, we kind of need to embrace uh, a mixed use. So you talked about co-location being something that people are are looking at. There's been a long trend of um, you know, needing to create a mixed use space, so you put kind of a couple shops at the bottom of your your big housing device, so a few big retail spaces or you planning obligates you to put these space retail spaces in, which are then end up being long term empty. And now there's kind of thoughts that these are becoming distribution centers, et cetera, but some of them are not fit for purpose. So, you know, is there kind of a gold standard when it comes to if you're going to kind of, you know, include some kind of industrial space? you know, we're used to these kind of being found spaces or existing spaces, but, you know, is there kind of the impetus to replace those empty retail units with an industrial space? And if you are going to do that, are there some best practices or or things that you should keep aware of? Because it doesn't sound like an appealing thing, really, does it? To, you know, it's not the same as saying you're going to have your own coffee shop and, and grocery store downstairs or a dry cleaners.
1: I mean, definitely not yet. I don't think we're we're ready for that yet (laughs) as the the sales point for your new flat. Um, There's two sides, I think, to the answer of this question. One is that there's a version where you say, well, we need housing and we need industrial space. We'll just put one on top of the other. For my money, this is one of the most challenging ways to deliver new industrial space, even if you do know how to design it. There are or there can be acoustic challenges. There's definitely spatial things around the height of the kind of floor to ceiling heights that you might want to achieve with industrial spaces. Um, Vehicle movements can be challenging to address, and I think this is where some of those schemes that you're referencing really fall down. It's like, how do you just get your deliveries to the shop or whatever whatever use is happening on that ground floor? Um, We've been working with the GLA on the second part of the question which is just is this the desirable configuration is it maybe better to put lots of workspace together in a more intense way so a multi-level scheme is maybe one answer um but there are i think design parameters and sort of good good practice um and we're working with the greater london authority at the moment on some new design guidance that will be coming out We think it's fair to say that whilst residential schemes um There's loads of guidance about how to design them and a good level of fluency in the profession in general about how to design good residential space. And it should have dual aspect and various other things where you could just look at a plan and say you haven't met these basic standards. But there isn't that fluency, I think, around designing industrial spaces. Uh, So the intention of the new GLA guidance will be to provide some more of those parameters. And I think that's due to come out later this year.
0: Francis, I want to go over to Ealing and hear a little bit about some of the initiatives that have been happening there and maybe some learnings that you can share um, that, you know, that have been uh, that you've been accumulating as um, as you look at these spaces and as you uh, develop your strategies.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, because there's definitely a lot of challenges there, as um, as Holly pointed out, and we're you know, definitely going to be using the, the guidance that that um, she and the GLA are putting together because that's really key. I mean, you were asking about about the types of space um, and things like that. So, you know, we're doing a master plan of a, a designated industrial area in Ealing. I mean, there's two types. There's strategic, in, oh, correct me if I get these wrong, Holly, strategic industrial land and there's um, ELSIS, which is Locally Significant Industrial Sites. Uh, um, I always get that last one wrong. Um, but, Wait, uh, say yeah. that
0: one again. What was that second one again? Locally
2: it was... Strategic Industrial Sites. And, locally Significant, and
1: course,
2: I think. Oh, sorry. Locally <laughs> sorry Significant. Now I, I said it twice in a different way. Um, and, of course, SIL is not to be confused with SIL. Um, the Community Infrastructure Levy, which we all know um, and love, which we don't actually have in Yiling as the only borough. Um, and we're working uh, to get that on board as well, because that's that's going to be supporting us. Uh, but I think, you know, as I said, we're doing the master plan of, of this um, local industrial area, um, which is tackling a lot of these issues where... You know, we've seen co location development with residential on top of um, replacement industrial space being proposed, We're going through the planning system, but that that space is not necessarily fit for purpose for industrial uses. For instance, in, the industrial uses that are currently on the site would not go back into those spaces, not just because of the price, but because the space itself is not. Um, uh, doesn't meet their requirements there isn't enough loading often in in front of those things so uh you know part of what we need to do in developing a master plan is is um setting out those- re- requirements very clearly um and then i think uh yeah setting setting out a bit of a vision like Collie was mentioning uh you know in the black horse lane area some of these sites. I think it's about um, providing a bit of a vision and certainty of an area. So, for instance, in, in our South Acton area that we're master planning, the impression you get from a lot of businesses that have created a, a really you know, vibrant business community there is that there isn't really a future for them in that area uh, because they see all these uh, residential buildings these co-location buildings coming forwards um and they have no interest in in sort of looking to the future and investing you know and if they can sell off and and, and leave the, uh, um in some way then then that might be the future so so for us it's about you know well, I guess what what local authorities and what, what we're doing is providing that certainty that certain areas are going to definitely stay industrial and that we want to see more industrial and that the replacement industrial that's coming forward in co-location schemes is going to be really fit for purpose um, and that the residential population that is going to come that comes with the co-location um, is going to be able to function and have the necessary amenities and things alongside those industrial uses that are going on. So I think, yeah, so, so there's there's a lot of those sort of nitty-gritty details of how you actually make this sort of thing work. Uh, but then on the upper level, there's also just the awareness, you know, development management officers, for instance, understanding uh, all those requirements for industrial workspace so they can make sure that what they approve is really gonna um deliver in the end and is not gonna in the end sort of um you know just become some office space which for instance in this case in this area that we're dealing with is not even in demand um but i guess it's so it's almost like a little bit of a lack of understanding and interest in industrial space that is the blocker at the moment. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum you know there's some of the larger industrial developers that are you know delivering new modern industrial workspaces uh for certain types of businesses uh but they're not interested in this sort of small smaller grain at the moment um uh that allows uh, other types of more diverse sizes of businesses to thrive as well.
0: One thing that I kind of hear is that, you know, there's the classic tale of, you know, Victorian or you know Edwardian um warehouse empty warehouse space, you know, taken over by artists and small. There's no empty to, warehouse space. Yeah, to become kind <laughs> of artist studios, which then is bought to become uh apartments, uh, and then you know, and and so that story goes. And then, you know, we have kind of large-scale um. Different, more souped up examples of that around the Olympic Park or around, you know, Hackney Wick, where we have these industrial areas that then become primarily not industrial areas. And then we try to put some stuff back in typically. And then what I'm hearing is this stuff that gets put back in, it's usually more expensive. And often the people were there because it was cheap in the first place. So you're right away eliminating and one of the things that were certainly the centrality of it was attractive but usually there's also a price point issue so as soon as you're resupplying it you know will it be out of a price point that these existing uh, businesses can afford um and in the meantime there's the disruption of course of regeneration which means that these these entrepreneurs may actually need to keep functioning as a business so they might just be gone and then you know you're trying to get them back to rehouse them in a space that they've left, you know, two to eight years ago, you know, depending on the the length of, of time it takes to 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 develop. So so a real thorny issue there. Are there any kind of magic wands? Is the magic wand like don't move these people in the first place? Um or is there, you know, are there other kind of policy decisions around, I mean, the affordability of the finished product or making things available to locals or you know, meanwhile, you know, business plans, um, that, that are really, uh, essential if we're going to kind of do this, change the narrative of how that
1: typical story of regeneration happens. Holly, I'm going to bring you in there. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting question, but we have to be careful that, um, likewise, as Francis was saying, the diversity of uses that happen in industrial spaces, the sort of narrative that you're describing would be applicable to a certain strand of people who are in those spaces and really not to loads of others of them. Um, So there's loads of really interesting schemes, not loads actually, that's a, exaggeration, some very interesting schemes coming forward at the moment, largely with public sector backing, where they're delivering new multi-level industrial space. Um, in Charlton Riverside, there's an example, which is light industrial workspace. It's the Charlton Works Act designed by DRMM. Uh, in Barking and Dagenham, uh, it's Industria, which is a much larger, typical industrial and, I guess, at the smaller scale of that light industrial space. Um that's being provided. But the reason that those schemes are coming forward, particularly industrial, is that they're able to charge rents that are on a par with what the market is charging. And in a way, if you're char- if you're being charged that for a crumbly old falling down shed that is really poor in terms of environmental performance, you're cold, uh, your energy bills are enormous, and you could be in another space, which is high quality much better performing environmentally offers you really all of the same sort of spatial parameters. You just have to go up a ramp to get there, but actually um, this is less of a price. I mean, I'm slightly simplifying here because there's price considerations, but um, industrial van values are high, I think is the underlying point. So it's not necessarily a cheap versus expensive conversation all the time. Um, and I think just leaving everything exactly as it is, is also not going to be our solution. There are issues in London and in the city that need to be overcome with change. And we need to think intelligently about how we can accommodate that. I think that some of these multi-level employment space schemes are really, really interesting because it's not something that London is used to. Um, It's not something that investors at the moment have big confidence in. But these schemes that the public sector is supporting are... Kind of pilots and really important pilots to see does anybody even want to take this business space? Globally, we see that it's possible. So you can go to Hong Kong and see businesses operating in 17, 20 something story industrial spaces. It's not that like, it's not like gravity that businesses can't operate in these other places. They absolutely can. But we're just not used to it here. So there's this cultural change that's happening. um, And some of these schemes that are coming forward at the moment will be really important tests for how well that works for us. It doesn't mean that the dynamics that you're describing which is of businesses being pushed out feeling threatened by development it doesn't mean that that's not a real threat and it very much is um we're based just up the road from uh the old Kent road area lots of cheap employment space lots of creative users and artist studios not that they're anything necessarily more important to our city than other types of small businesses um and threatened by this kind of looming sense of things are going to get developed here What's interesting, I think, about the Barking example is that the industrial space and the new industrial space is kind of coming forward first. So they've said, okay, we can put however many stories of new space on this corner. Then maybe when we take away or change the use of some of those industrial units and warehouses that are down the road, that space for those businesses to relocate is already there. And it's this sort of I've already moved out, so I'm not going to come back dynamic that if you're providing the new workspace first, maybe starts to unravel that challenge. But we shouldn't be naive about how easy or difficult it is that those schemes have had really significant public sector backing. Um, We worked on a big master plan on the Pearly Way in Croydon. It's another big industrial area, plenty of space and opportunity for new homes. But I think business responses and sort of current viability challenges in that particular area of industrial land, the values of what you would get for delivering multi-level industrial space aren't justified by the return that you'd receive for it. And we're just at that kind of tipping balance, I think areas like Ealing, there was an example in the paper earlier this week um, in the press about, I think, a 10 story industrial kitchen in Park Royal. So this is just the market saying, like, this is what we want to do with our site now. That is a really interesting tipping point, because a few years ago, this wouldn't be something that people were considering as viable. And it is kind of happening now because pressures are so intense. So um this is a kind of long answer, but just saying actually the viability and the sort of if something is cheap or expensive, whether it happens or not, is really complicated and quite a fast changing. And this kind of tipping point at the moment, is, I think it's really fascinating
2: i think that tipping point is really uh key it really feels like we're in a period uh where we're going to see a lot of change at the moment with industrial space and it's really exciting to see these multi-level schemes now coming forward as holly says these these have been you know sort of cross-subsidized either by the public sector or by residential development uh, but you know requirements of the public sector um and you know examples like Japan are shown i think where the policy at some point just required multi-story warehouses that from one day to the next you know they're all building multi-story warehouses some of those industrial developers are are also here in the u k and in london and and have that experience from other places but so uh, I think everyone's at the moment looking to see uh, in the market, how these new buildings that are a, a, a few of which, you know, are going to come industrial are going to be completed soon. Um, how they're going to let, how they're going to run, um, they're, they're just going to be show pieces, uh, that we're all going to be looking to. And, and I think also championing, um, to show, you know, how industrial space can be better. And part of, uh, you know, I set up this uh, Industrious London officer group and, uh, you know, we're sort of sharing uh, with officers across across London and really trying to champion um, this industrial space and, and industrial intensification uh, of space. And um, so that is sort of really key that we're going to share that learning and champion that and i think you know sort of one other aspect to it is of course you know the sustainability aspect and i know you know recently this summer there was this um eco city summit uh where i was i was quite shocked to see that there wasn't really any focus on the economy in there it's often talk about eco cities about efficient buildings and all of this and i think you know industrial areas as you know, we're talking about in our Industrious London Officer group and and have discussed with with Holly and others as well, are going to be really key in sort of delivering a more sustainable city, Um, you know, services or repair services or whatever it might be, being closer, jobs being closer, distribution being closer so it can happen and, you know, starting to happen. And in Ealing, you know, in particular, we're focusing on 20-minute neighbourhood concept uh, in our local plan as well and putting industrial space sort of as a key part of that because that is where we're going to see the growth of good jobs, the growth of the economy um, that is going to, you know, potentially support that um, greening of of our city rather than, pushing things out, which can only, you know, make things worse from a sustainability point of view, from a transport um, point of view as well.
0: Interestingly, there was an article uh, recently about vacant office space uh, in the U.S. being used for urban farming, uh, for vertical farms. Uh, And I I think it's an it's an interesting new definition of industrial space to say it's work that actually has to be done in person because it's, you know, uh, usually a workplace that you need to go to. It's not conceivable for whatever reason to do that work you know, from home in any way, um, or from a, you know, or from a library or a cafe or or, or one of these other alternative work spaces um, to an office. But I think it's an interesting question to say, you know, with the office market, um, you know, see, seeing increasing spe- uh, pressure with places like people like HSBC looking to leave their offices in Canary Wharf, is there an opportunity here to look at, uh, retrofitting those spaces or are most of them really going to be, you know, too, too difficult or too inappropriate really to convert, um, into industrial space and, and, you know, or, or is that like a valid conversation? Cause you know, some of these spaces you're describing are new built spaces and we do want to, to retrofit and reuse um you know in some of these neighborhoods or will have to really um so i don't know uh i i guess i would be interested to hear whether vacant offices come into this discussion
2: i think shall i start holly um there's definitely yeah i mean there's definitely we definitely need to look beyond our sort of pool of protected industrial land at the moment, because we don't have enough of that. We can intensify some of it in locations, but there are other locations that might be more appropriate for some of these uses. And as you say, like vacant spaces and things, and given values at the moment of industrial, that is actually possible to start looking at other sites whereas before you know the values of industrial but lagging a bit behind some of the other uses um so you know i think that is is something that we're looking to support and and even push in ealing as well as sort of looking at our own land how we can you know start to um develop some some multi-level uh smaller industrial buildings and things like that so um, it's definitely possible. I mean, your example of the multi-story kitchens is sort of exactly that. Well, that's a new build, but you know, you could, um, you could start looking at that in potentially existing, reusing the existing buildings and stuff. And we know that, you know, there has been a lot of demand for dark kitchens and things. And a lot of, um, in inner London, for instance, a lot of, uh, sort of last mile distribution on cargo bikes and things is, is. Taking up things like uh, you know what was underground garage spaces or or things like that. So so uh, you know uses are looking to adapt and and I think you know we need to look more at how we can adapt some of those other spaces, especially in outer London where office you know is in very low demand. Um, so we need to make sure that you know new spaces that are built, like we were talking about in co-location or office buildings or whatever, you know, are future-proofed um, and that we see what we can do with the current buildings.
1: I think it's it's really interesting to think about how, because of the pandemic, everything sort of, all things, all assumptions that we had previously made slightly get questioned again. It's like, oh, well, make Canary Wharf. does it? Maybe it should be something else. And there's something quite fascinating about just the type of building that you normally get for those large into, those large office type units. They're really deep buildings, they're deep floor plates. So actually conversion to residential might, which is the the sort of go-to assumption, I think, on some of those. In some cases, that may be a better option. And then in, in some instances, actually, that just the nature of the building would be that... The sort of depth of that unit would be so dark and miserable and horrible to live in um, that especially uh, if you're not going through permitted development rights, so which I hope that we can all agree are a terrible idea of uh, office hysteria permitted development it doesn't normally give you brilliant results. So if you were questioning that as an assumption, then actually maybe industrial uses are a much better potential alternative use for some of the Spaces. There are some practical considerations around that on the sort of breadth of industrial uses that that would be applicable for. Um, and I think dark kitchens, maybe, are one we, at the moment, actually, where where the, we made that offices are we're on the top floor of a multi-level light industrial building there's loads of prep kitchens we're quite near a market and lots of prep kitchens on upper levels they're using a pretty large goods lift to move things up and down so if you were in a building where you weren't able to do that vertical circulation of goods and people easily then that would be really challenging my other sort of standard test for when you say this is light industrial do you really mean it is how easy is it to move a sort of a pallet delivery of Uh, eight by four plywood sheets from from a vehicle that's delivering it to the unit where you're supposed to be able to use it like actually in some cases just mentally going through that exercise like this is never going to work it's not going to space isn't going to be able to be operated in the way that we're saying that it would but it does throw everything up in the air a little bit when you start thinking about the volume of force space in places like canary wharf that could become available and what are the sorts of uses that you might put into it i think it's really fascinating the other question of that though is the reappraisal of values because some of that really high end office space is on paper worth a huge amount of money in reality if nobody wants to take it then it's not worth that money but the acceptance of that or the the ability to kind of recognize that and accept a different figure for that space is maybe easier said than done
0: So a psychological uh, leap might be needed there as well as a spreadsheet one. Um, When you look at uh, the kind of mix of uses in an, in an urban area, is there a magic percentage of how much should be light industrial? Um, I guess, you know, uh, with lots of caveats around it, of course, around uh, what can we, you know, what does the transport link, what do the transport links need to be like? Um, you know, do you, do you need large goods vehicles? You've kind of argued that depending on what, you know, what's happening uh, within that space, you may not need um, as much access as you think you are, but, you know, do we have a sense of what, you know, if, if you're looking, if you've just done this exercise and you've started to map, you know, what, you know, the number of spaces that you have in a given kind of area at an urban density, you know, is there a magic um, number you should be looking for?
2: Um, I mean, that's a tricky one. I mean, councils spend a lot of time for local plans in particular sort of, you know, trying to quantify what is the demand for commercial space, for industrial space, for things. I think what we need to go on at the moment is obviously, you know, that demand is increasing and space is not um so we're we're uh you know coming into uh, a bit of a as i said a, a period of change where we're really going to have to start looking more at intensification looking for space outside of industrial areas how much of it i guess is difficult at the mo- at the moment we're not really getting enough i think the i think the question is more what type of space Um, because we need to make sure that there's a diversity of space coming forward. And I think I mentioned before that, you know, you've got the bigger industrial developers that are interested in the big warehouses, and they are starting to – some of them are starting to look at uh, also some smaller and stack spaces and things, so things are moving in that area. And then at the other end, you might have um, quite a few sort of operators – providers of much smaller sort of or artist space or very small business spaces but often i find and I think this is maybe a bit of a call out as well on the developer podcast i think that there's a, a bit of a um a gap there in between of providers of those sort of medium-sized industrial spaces that are going to deliver those be they as part of co-location that are going to be you know sort of understand what businesses need um, in those size ranges can provide that and 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 run that sort of space and i think that's um, at least from my point of view where we're reaching um, a, a bit of blockage when it comes to providing that diversity of space and linked to that you we are also talking about the affordability of that space um you know that's quite linked as well uh in and and we're looking at how uh affordable workspace policies should also be applying to industrial space because as those rents as we said are going up at the moment. There's a lot of more local businesses or businesses, you know, that have started up locally that are important businesses now. They wouldn't be able to start nowadays because there isn't the space and the rents are too high. So how can we make sure that these market pressures are still, are are not pushing out our future important businesses? You know, in our South Acton area, we have a pie skincare Company that that produces locally these organic sort of high end skincare products um, in this business ecosystem of of South Acton, and and they started in that area, they've grown in that area, but they're not able to now find the space to continue to grow and expand and and sort of flourish, and have to do that in other complex complex and um I guess not not quite as efficient ways so um so it's really about you know making sure that we have the sort of those businesses of the future as well that can grow
1: I think it's really interesting the sort of spectrum from the question which is is there a magic percentage of like industrial space to talking about an individual skincare company kind of shows the challenge because we're never working in a kind of tabula rasa, blank canvas environment. And what we found through all the work that we've done doing, we call them employment audits, but it's basically going around door knocking and doing surveys in industrial areas, is that you get such variety. There is there a sort of strata of things. So there's warehousing and distribution. This is, takes up a big chunk. Uh, and then as you get into... Other kinds of particularly manufacturing businesses, services businesses, such a differentiation in different places. And I think we can't underestimate the importance of that understanding, which is at a local level, not saying there's a magic percentage that you have to hit, but that you understand what's happening in each individual place. But the importance of clustering for those businesses, we've been doing some work um which is actually kind of regional, looking at the Thames Estuary Production Corridor and thinking about where there's screen industries related businesses or where there's fashion manufacturing and design businesses and the strength and importance of those businesses being near to each other, almost particularly in the creative sectors, because those businesses and those people are often freelancing, kind of patching together lots of different jobs from all different things. They're project-based work or project-based bits of income. So you have to be able to be kind of um, agile in moving between businesses and projects and little bits that are going on. Often this is how industrial economies are working, as I said, particularly in the creative sector. So just to try and generalise or put a kind of percentages on it is fairly meaningless. And it means that even processes like the local authority employment land reviews are so broad and high level that they really don't get to what does this place need and what do these people need? Um, and some of that is is incredibly frustrating, but it also means that some schemes that come forward, which just give a fairly generic ground floor plate and write light industrial on the plan in their new planning application for a co-location scheme are never going to be successful because they haven't understood, OK, in this place, there's an incredible strength of screen industry related businesses and they all rely on each other. And maybe there's something that we can do here about thinking about how they can co-locate or how we're accommodating for this certain part of what they need. Um, there is a kind of, texture i guess to london's industrial ecosystems that i think is very rarely understood in detail and i think it's to the detriment of some of the sort of strategic planning that happens it sounds like a lot of work and in a way it kind of is but this is how london has been created by these like layers and layers and layers of things happening over time and the idea that we can make a plan for how the future of that could be without giving some kind of nod to or understanding that existing grain i think is um misguided and is more likely to lead to unsuccessful outcomes.
0: Do your homework, I guess, is one of the big things. Do your homework on what's there now um, and what's and try to anticipate that kind of growth or change. Do do we think that AI, you know, will play a role in the kind of office-based sector reducing and this idea that you know work that must be completed by humans, either by meeting collaboration or making specifically is is perhaps, you know, it could be that this trend accelerates quite quickly if the need for administrative work uh, diminishes significantly, as is anticipated um, in all kinds of sectors like media and law.
2: To me, is that industrial uses will probably become even more important in our economy and in our work, in the work that people do. Um, i mean the decline of industrial space in london uh, off, uh, was it was often said that um manufacturing was in decline um according to the projections it's that has turned out not to be true um potentially there have been less jobs because of uh, automation but um i don't think you know that has you know machines have not taken over a lot of this production either and um um yeah i guess you know those are those are larger trends uh but to me they point more and more to the importance of of uh good jobs that are coming and local jobs that these industrial workspaces um can provide for and in space sort of allows, for
0: entrepreneurship which is another part of this yeah
2: which is specifically why I talk about an in, uh, Industrious London Officer Group and not an Industrial London Officer Group, uh, because it's all about people being industrious, entrepreneurial. That's what it all depends on. And, you know, we need to, I guess, support that and allow that to flourish and not, um, I guess, through our local authority studies sort of dictate sectors that are going to grow in the future. but but sort of look at the trends and pro- support uh, what is happening rather than trying to plan sort of specific spaces for specific things uh, because in the end, you know, the market um, needs what it needs and, and we need to provide uh, support that diversity those Holly, businesses.
0: the last time you were on this podcast, we were talking about the high street. Uh, we're now talking about industrial spaces. You know, is is there a role uh or an interconnected uh narrative here that we can link between those two conversations? Is the high is the high street you know becoming more industrious um where it's successful? Or do you think that these are again two two very different things?
1: No, I think there's definitely a kind of overlap in the Venn diagrams here. And I think um, more creative uses, and I guess it is like industrial potentially, particularly artists, workspace and creative spaces, but even small scale food production, small scale manufacturing, all of this can happen in industrial or in high street spaces, even though they're industrial uses. And I think particularly those that have a potential interface with customers and consumers This is really interesting. There will be limitations to that just because, I mean, we all know what a sort of high street scale space is and the levels of access and sort of vehicle movements around it that you might anticipate. But certainly, if we can all be a little bit more relaxed about what we might expect to see on our high street, I think there's space there. I mean, I'm constantly fighting against the narrative of the death of the high street because I just, I don't buy it. It's not what I see. But there are places where you get high vacancy. I don't think that we often see that in in cities or kind of in more dense urban places like the more extreme versions of that where we're looking is are more in kind of towns and and towns that are further away from urban centers but I think um if we can all be open to that and the planning system can be appropriately flexible which I think actually is kind of increasing the, the case that that's a perfectly appropriate and kind of quite exciting thing to see um I went to a place in San Francisco, which was a tile manufacturing factory and also had an amazing cafe. And just the idea that you can see into this weird and wonderful place that like huge trays of ceramics are coming out and getting fired and then being taken out, like, this is amazing. Um, And I know that there was a a restaurant review the other day um, in an industrial area in Tower Hamlets, where the restaurant apparently is fantastic, (laughs) and you can sit there and see across the... um, fabric manufacturing and fashion manufacturing space that's adjacent. So I think actually these surprising combinations and uses can be incredibly kind of energizing and exciting um, and we should be open to that. I think it's a brave new world.
0: And some of those restaurants on the high streets or cafes, I mean, if if you've sat in one and seen the number of uh, drivers coming to pick up meals for other people, which far exceeds the number of diners in the actual restaurant, I mean, it kind of already is a dark kitchen just operating with a know with a few tables in front as well so i think it's it's interesting to see that these you know these kind of we do create definitions of industrial versus retail but of course there can be exciting intersections well you know what it's been a really interesting discussion it's been so great having you here holly and francis thanks so much for talking to me about this today
1: thanks very much good to see
2: you yeah thanks a lot for having us
0: Thanks for listening. Our podcast is produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. If you like what you hear, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thedeveloperuk. You can sign up to our newsletter on our website, thedeveloper.live, and check out our live events on making more sustainable and equitable places at festivalofplace.co.uk. Thanks a lot. See you next time.